0: Well, nearly 60% of young people are leaving the church. We continue a series and looking at reasons why. Thinking Christians, welcome to the Unapologetic Show where we defend truth without compromise. Truth is under attack in our culture, and we are here to continue to put forth reasons that what we believe is true as Christians with Dr. Bobby Conway, the One Minute Apologist. I'm your host, Tim Hall. So Bobby, we talked last week about how the internet is playing a role in people leaving. We talked about morality and kind of the change of the cultural landscape versus what the church believes is morally good and morally right, uh, causes people to leave. We talked a little bit about Trump and politics and how that plays in. We've also been looking at some video clips of the friendly atheist, and he's been kind of giving us a launching pad. So we're going to jump into our... Our fourth reason why people are leaving the church and that is sexuality. So I think we have, uh, no, we don't have a clip on sexuality here, but let's talk about sexuality and why people, um, why this might be a reason that people are heading out of the church. So why do you, uh, why do you think that that's an issue for people? Why do you think it's causing them to leave the church?
1: Well, so much of our culture is sexualized today, Tim, Um, we can, see that. I mean, we have an entire month, June, mm. uh, dedicated to uh, sexual preferences, yeah. LGBTQ+. plus. Uh, there is, you know, r- promiscuity that is rampant. Uh, you know, watching Netflix, you can just see the increase with Hulu and Apple TV Plus and Mm -hmm. some of these different venues where uh, it's getting more aggressive sexually. Um, The culture, the music, uh, what we value in our culture is a form of sexual hedonism uh, where people, uh, they want to be liberated. They want to be free. And so what's talked about in... Our culture is sexuality a lot. I mean, even kids, you know, at young ages, yeah. uh, get in touch with your sexuality. If you need to go through a sex change, let's help you make that happen. Yeah. Um, let's change sex ed in the way that we do the curriculum. Yeah. I mean, so much obsession about this topic. Mm. And, um, When we come along as Christians and when we talk about, hey, sex as a context between a a man and a woman in marriage, uh, we look like we're being prudes. Yeah. Uh, We look out of touch. Yeah. Well, uh, we are out of touch in the sense of hopefully we're not in touch with it the way that it's celebrated in our culture. Yeah. Uh, There was a time where uh, there were more morals in our culture, but with the rise of pornography, I mean, you've got the, you've got sex trade uh, right here in our own backyard in Charlotte, one of the largest places of, uh, you know, sex trafficking taking place. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's horrific what's going down in Southern California, right there in Newport beach. I mean, there's a huge sex trafficking influence that takes place. So, A lot of our industries, Hollywood, Mm. is motivated by this. So what do we have to do as Christians? I think that we have to establish... Um, why God would want us to have a context for sexuality. Because if all we do is come out and just say, thou shall not, thou shall not, uh, people don't understand the why. And if we can establish the why, and I've said many times before, I mean, God, uh, think about his perspective. Um, There would never be an S, there never would have been an STD had we just followed God's plan of sexuality. Uh, Think about the amount of insecurity in marriages because of a lack of sexual Mm. self-control, because couples don't trust each other, because they didn't wait. And I think that God wants couples to have security in their marriages. And that comes through having a sense of trust for one another. Mm. And he doesn't want them to know the consequences, the guilt, The shame and the pain of a wrecked marriage, as a result of those who can't exercise sexual self control. So God's vision for us is to be self controlled people, and He realizes that if you can be, uh, if you can exercise self control in the department of sexuality, well, then that's going to help you to be able to have an abundant marriage. It's going to help you to, um, you know, what happens? You get couples. They start dating. They insert intimacy too quickly. Mm-hmm. They feel closer than they actually are. Right. Then they get married, and they realize, "Wow, I married on feelings of sexuality, but we weren't ever close relationally." Right. So, what God is looking at this uh, when God's looking at marriage, He's looking at it holistically. How can you have no guilt, shame, and consequences? Mm. How can you have no STDs? How can you have security? trust, love how can you build the relationship in the right order? See the culture while they're celebrating the sexual ethic what they don't do is they never tell us about all the consequences that are happening and so they just talk about the front side of it like oh it's going to be fun but they're not letting us know about the destroyed marriages, about how insecure people are to get married because they don't know that it's worth it. They're not talking about the STDs, uh, the 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 pregnancies, all, all the things that are happening. Yeah. They don't tell us that.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're exactly right, and I think again, in our spirit of concession here, we could look at it and say, yeah, there have been things like the the overblown purity culture movement that may have caused damage, that have uh, you know caused people to feel like they should be ashamed of their body when they were. Sure. It shouldn't be and uh, you know like uh, what was his name? James Harris. Harris. Yeah, Joshua Harris came out with the the you know the book and then he recently kind of yeah, I, a fully, kissed yeah I kissed dating goodbye. I kissed dating goodbye. He fully reconstructed so you know look like all the pain and hurt that i have. so movements like that have caused some hurt and some pain uh, and but then there's also just like how the church kind of deals with some of those different subjects. So how, what would you say to somebody that was hurt by the purity culture movement?
1: Well. I would say we can deal with our hurt to some degree Mm -hmm. by recognizing that the people weren't trying to hurt people by calling them to that standard. I can say, Tim, just in full transparency, I mean, I was a part of that culture as a new Christian and I didn't feel hurt by it. Yeah. I was a guy that had lived the way the culture's telling us to live now. Yeah. I was totally promiscuous and I experienced horrific consequences. Mm. I could not stay f- faithful to my girlfriends. Um, I objectified women. I had no uh, self control. I was completely impulsive. And so when I came uh, to Christ back in the early 90s and I was listening to people like Joshua Harris, um, uh, for me, honestly, uh, I, I felt like it was a challenge. Uh, I felt like it was a call up. Yeah. So sometimes when people are talking about being damaged by it, I'm not even really sure what they mean by mm. that. Because for somebody like me that was living a complete uh, wreck uh, life, uh, I found it refreshing to be called to uh, chastity, to be called to purity, yeah. to, to tackle and address my thoughts. Um, I did not hear people telling me I should be ashamed of my body. I did not hear people telling me in that culture, Joshua Harris himself saying that that sex was bad. Yeah. Uh, I just heard people saying, hey, there's a reward for waiting. Right. And I heard people saying, uh, you'll be blessed because of it. So I challenged the narrative a little mm. bit that purity cultures went out and damaged people. Yeah. Um, I, I think it might've damaged people that felt defeated by a call that was too high mm. and lofty. But I don't feel like uh, it, it was damaging to me. Now, kissing, dating, goodbye altogether. Maybe people, you know, felt like that was a problem. Yeah, uh, I was fortunate; I had a girlfriend. I wasn't interested in. I didn't follow the the principles yeah. to kiss, dating, goodbye completely. Right. So I realize I I can't speak for those, and so I don't want to minimize the pain that some people uh, may have experienced. But I think if they are in pain, they should just be able to uh, eradicate it by realizing, you know what. Uh, we need more people to call us to high standards today. What we have today, uh, I I think we're going to be, Wounded and pained a lot more by people who call us to have no standards, mm. who call us to have a sex change at seven years old, right. who call us to uh, do the things that we're doing, uh, to forfeit getting married, to not have any concern for sexuality whatsoever. Those are the people that are causing more traumas, in my opinion, than those who are saying, "Hey, like, like, how am I really going to be pained because I wait mm. to be intimate with my spouse until I say I do?" Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be a lot more pained if I. I don't. if I just give in to all of my desires.
0: Right, right, exactly. Well, I think this this sexuality issue that we're talking about kind of leads into maybe our fifth one is the idea of hypocrisy. So we're gonna turn back to our, our friend, uh, the friendly atheist here and see what he has to say on hypo- hypocrisy and then we will talk about it. The
2: distance between what religions preach and what religious people do has never been larger. They say they care about the poor, but we see some church leaders and televangelists living these luxurious lifestyles. They say they love LGBTQ people, but they spread lies about them, oppose civil rights for them, and work very hard to make their lives miserable. They oppose abortion, And yet more than a third of women who got abortions, according to one 2014 study, were evangelical or Roman Catholic, two groups that actively fight to block women from getting abortions that their own members are apparently getting. Pastors will deliver sermons about the importance of monogamy and the problems with porn, then get caught in sex scandals sometimes with same-sex partners, sometimes it's abuse involving kids. They're pro-life, but they're also pro-gun and pro-death penalty. They say truth matters, but they'll vote for politicians who lie, cheat, and steal. And the thing is, everyone can see this.
0: So, does the friendly atheist have a point there? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: But I would say there's an exaggeration built in. Mm -hmm. His opening statement, the divide's never been worse. Well, um, you know, when the Reformation took place, uh, it was pretty bad. I mean, the abuses that were taking place in the church, uh, the hypocrisy uh, was overwhelming. Uh, You had people, um, you know, Going around on preaching circuits uh, like Tetzel saying every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. They were building the Vatican yeah. on uh, you know the 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 false um, teachings that. You know, if they give their money, then they can get their loved ones out of purgatory. Right, right. Um, I mean, there, there has never been a shortage of hypocrisy in the church. Yeah. And there's never been a shortage of hypocrisy in the world. Right. I think the difference is, is in the church, when there's hypocrisy, we recognize an objective standard. Yeah. Uh, when you're outside the church uh, and uh, you're talking about morality, mm. well, what are you basing that... On where 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 are you grounding your moral views, and I think that he is spot on though, and I would join the friendly atheists in saying that's a problem. Yeah, but hypocrisy is not a Christian problem; it's a human problem. Right, uh, it, 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 but. To his concern. And I would agree with him that as Christians, you know, we do talk about a standard. Mm-hmm. And so it's much more in your face when that standard uh, is messed up. You know, you think about people like Ted Haggard yeah. or um, Ravi Zacharias, right. other individuals. That, uh, there's a lot of this going on the Catholic scandal with the priests. Um, so he's pointing out a problem. And I'd mm-hmm. say, yes, uh, that is absolutely a problem. Yeah. But uh, Jesus would agree with the friendly atheist right. on this. Like we don't, and this is again, one of these problems that people have, you don't walk away from, from Jesus uh, when people are hypocritical. You recognize that they are operating uh, unlike Jesus and they're showing proof for why Jesus needed to die uh, for our sins. So it's not something that I see hypocrisy. My faith is not in these leaders. Uh, My trust is not in these leaders. It's in Jesus. I want our leaders to be examples, but they're all capable of failure, myself included. And so uh, I would say, um, you know, it's a lot easier to go into atheism where you don't really feel like you have any accountability. Yeah. Uh, to, at least some people are, are trying to live according to a high standard than those that go out and say, oh, there's no moral standard. It doesn't really matter how you live. And right. that's problematic too.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think one of the things that, you know, he said that there's a little bit of, a, again, this presupposition, we're trying to point out some of these presuppositions that he has, is that like, the church are the people that realize that we are sinful hypocrites, right? We we just know that we need a savior and we found yeah. that in Jesus. So it's not a surprise to me that you're going to get people who have recognized that they're sinful, recognize that they've done bad, um, continuing to do bad and sinful things, right? You know, like I don't know any Christian like we were talking about on our previous episode about sexuality, Christians that are like, I'm perfect, I'm good, I got it all together and I never do anything wrong. But that doesn't also mean that we can't hold people to a high moral standard in some areas. We can say, yeah, we've screwed up. I want you to hold me accountable. I want to hold you accountable. And yeah, sometimes yeah. we're, we're going to do that and it's going to look... Like um, I shouldn't drink right. because
1: I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic, right? right? Um, but if I ever drink again, call it hypocrisy, right? I, right. I'm saying on record, I shouldn't drink, but uh, it, it's not because I would believe that, oh, all of a sudden I was okay to drink. Um, You know, we fall short of our standards and then hopefully we repent of it. When I had a relapse, right? Several years ago, uh, you know, uh, that wasn't good. Uh, I shouldn't have had the first sip. That was kind of my learning lesson. Uh, You know, but I acknowledged it. I confessed it. And, you know, now four years later, I haven't had a sip of alcohol again, right? Right? So we can fall shy of our standards. It doesn't mean the standard is wrong. It just means that we didn't live up to it. Right. So you don't, you know mock the standard you you know fine mock the people who fall short of the standard but uh we're going to always be able to mock that because no one's going to be able to keep this standard no one's going to live like Jesus uh perfectly this side of heaven and yeah. we recognize that and if anyone's saying that they are um we should question uh, we should question him quickly because I mean I fall short of the standard every day I mean right. uh, trying to live like Jesus I mean you're talking about trying to live uh, after a model who's perfect and right. none
0: of us can do that right exactly exactly uh, so before we get to the next one I do want to quibble with one thing that the friendly atheist said is he, he seemed to point out that there was an inconsistency between being pro-life and and owning guns and I don't think that there's an inconsistency there I think you know, we want people to not be murdered. We think the unborn are human and they deserve an equal right to life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have access to firearms for self-defense. But that was just one yeah, that thing was uh, that, <laughs> that I thought I'd point out. Uh, let's go to our, our next uh, category here, and this is science. We'll turn to the friendly atheists.
2: At its core, science is about proving what we can and discovering evidence and asking tough questions and using all the resources at our disposal to answer them. Religion is about none of that. It's about taking things on faith and believing things even when your mind tells you they can't be true. Even if you're able to ask hard questions, you're always told the answer is to be found in one book and only one book.
0: Are all answers found in one book and only
1: one book? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like, okay, so while he's being friendly, it's just not honest. Yeah, I mean, it really isn't. That's uh, dishonest. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like the only answers are in one book and right. I'm just looking for faith. I, I, I don't even know what he's talking about. Yeah. He's, he's taking a fringe approach to things. I mean, God's given us the scriptures, right? And we have the book of nature. And there are plenty of Christians that are pro-science. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I mean look at the lecture that we got the chance to hear recently by Jay Warner Wallace on Person of Interest. And yeah. you, you hear this argument that Christians haven't been scientists, and he just raised the bar of showing how many Christians have been scientists. I mean, Francis Collins in his book, The Language for God. Yeah. I mean, think about... Just him as a modern day example, um, William Lane Craig uh, has definitely went up against some of the greatest scientists right. of our day. In fact, atheists fear debating him, and he's not against science. Yeah, uh, um, even modern day cosmology shows that, uh, that that the universe had a beginning, right? Well, we believe that the universe had a beginning as well. That God created the universe at a time in the uh, past. And I think that as it relates to God, we're just saying that he's a necessary being, that he's an uncreated being who's the cause of all things. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we can't do science. It doesn't mean that we can't be aware of DNA or we can't be aware of astronomy or we can't be aware of modern day medicine uh, because we're Christians. Uh, In fact, uh, I think it's harder for me to understand... um, how the friendly atheist can uh, just be so confident, like believing that all this just happened to show up yeah. on naturalism. And why should we trust um, our logic on account of basically what takes place according to Darwinian evolution? Yeah. So, uh, I think it's just something we have to quit doing saying that Christians can't do science. There's plenty of Christians that believe in the, that the universe is, you know, over 13 billion years old, right. that the earth is 4.6, uh, you know, billion years old. Uh, wh- wh- how does that differ from the friendly atheists on, right. on age? Right. Um, you know, I believe in DNA. Uh, you know, the Christians right. believe in the double helix. They believe in molecules. They right. be- So to say that, w- so where are we getting that information? If I'm saying I believe in DNA, I believe in proteins and molecules. I, I I believe in genetics. I believe in astronomy, and I believe in all of these things. Where am I getting that information from? Am I getting that all from the Bible? Right. No, we're no, looking at modern no. day science, and we're saying that we can that we that that we can pay attention. Yeah. And I so that's dishonest on his part to say that 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 all Christians are that way basically. Right.
0: Well, and again, the, I think one of the presuppositions that we can point out, and just his perspective, is it seems a little bit like scientism, right? He doesn't seem Absolutely. like he's leaving room for any kind of philosophy or religion or theology to uh, elucidate truth claims for us. And so he's creating these kind of narrow categories. I mean, even things like you know, young earth creationism or climate change or evolution, a lot of those have philosophies that are attached to them. And that typically is what the Christian is rejecting, not necessarily what is discovered in the lab. So talk to us a little bit about maybe those different methodologies or those different philosophies that kind of undergird scientism, right? Which it seems like he's, he's kind of espousing here and kind of the, the conflict that we wouldn't have that you're talking about. There's no conflict between science and faith.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, there there have been um, scientists that say, you know, we can't allow for a divine foot in the door, in the door right? right. Uh, this idea that uh, methodological naturalism, mm-hmm. that the only methods that you're allowed to use, as scientists, are those that are uh, naturalistic. So mm-hmm. you can't give that divine foot in the door, you can't. Think about other um, philosophical explanations for right. you know why is there something instead of nothing? Yeah. And so basically, your methodology limits you to even seeing other options. Mm. It blinds you from seeing other options. Now, is the friendly atheist correct that there can be some Christians that would say statements like, "Hey, just have faith in the Bible," or, uh, "You know, you can't pay attention to science." Sure, there are people like that, but that's not all Christians. Uh, so, are if there's some people in churches like that that are leaving the church uh, in the name of uh, science because they don't feel like they can reconcile it, well then that is a problem where Christians need Mm -hmm. to wake up and realize that, uh, you know, Christianity is not opposed to doing science. Right. Uh, But the Christians that I know, uh, I mean, rarely will you ever meet somebody that's That bulldogmatic. We get that stuff on the internet and in our silos. And it's, again, speaking to the extremes. Just as not all atheists are unfriendly, case in point, our friendly atheists. I think that our friendly atheists could have done a better job of speaking more broadly Mm -hmm. to how Christians are. There's plenty of thoughtful, intellectual Christians that... It can enjoy and appreciate science.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I completely agree. I, I can't think of any Christian that would deny the effectiveness of the method of science, right? And so I think that's really important to kind of go into that so that there really isn't this conflict. Yeah, there may be some disagreements here and there. There may be some disagreements about, uh, you know, kind of going back to our, our politics from our last episode, how to deal with climate change, sure. like what role should the state play in climate change or how much uh, humans are contributing to climate yeah. change. But I don't know of anybody again, and we run in Christian circles, we talk about these subjects a lot, that just people just outright deny that there's any change in the climate at all. Uh, And I don't know why that would necessarily be a a Christian issue, yeah, it's right? the like, morals
1: that <laughs> emerge from this, but again, the Christians might be looking at some of the science we're doing, like say AI, for example, right? We might think morally and we might look at the scriptures and think, well, what are some principles we can derive morally? Yeah, but at least we have an explanation for you know how we think we can ground our morality yeah. on atheism. Well, what are you grounding your morality in? Why isn't it all just subjective, cultural, moral relativism, right? right. And so, uh, you know that's a problem for the for the atheist so i mean it's not like the atheist has this nice, clean package to offer the world that doesn't have holes that you can mm. poke into it.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, man, there are there are other things that we could discuss. There's other reasons that people are leaving the church that uh, we just didn't get to. If you have one, maybe leave it in a comment uh, on this video on our YouTube channel. And quickly, I'll remind our audience that's checking us out on K-Wave. We are trying to reach two goals before the end of 2022. One of them is 100,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. So you can head on over to youtube.com one Minute Apologist, subscribe there, like this video, check it out, share it with a friend, do all of those things. Um, or we're also trying to reach $25,000 before the end of the year to make shows like this possible and you can do that at one apologist.com slash form. And with that, we will meet you next time on The Unapologetic Show. You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the One Minute Apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise.